The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, we have a fascinating show today. It is about background checks, and it's about a very important Supreme Court case that was recently argued, and we're going to be talking with a fabulous attorney who I met many years ago, and he came back into my life when I've been reading about him. We're going to be talking with Dan Stormer. He is a civil rights attorney. He's also an international human rights and constitutional lawyer for 36 years. Dan is recognized both nationally and internationally as one of the leading civil rights, employment, and constitutional law attorneys in our country. He was recently described by the National Law Journal as one of the country's top civil, constitutional, and international human rights lawyers. Dan Stormer has lectured and published extensively, including legal treatises and law reviews. He has taught over 200 seminars and trial programs, and he's also taught law school at Hastings College of Law, Loyola Law School, the University of San Francisco Law School, Southwestern Law School, and People's College of Law. He's been involved in over 70 published appellate decisions, and he has argued cases at all levels, including the U.S. Supreme Court, which we're going to talk about that very important case. And you can find out a lot more about him at our website at KUCI.org slash privacypiracy, but also at his website at www.hskrr.com. Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Well, you have done so much in your 36 years. I mean, you are one of our uh, heroes here for for people who are employees and uh, anyone in civil rights. You've just done a terrific job. But recently, this is the thing that really caught my eye. You recently argued a very important case before the U.S. Supreme Court. Why don't you tell us about the facts of the NASA case? Sure. Uh, This case arose from uh, a, a... presidential directive that George Bush uh, gave in the early 2000 time frame. And it was essentially a, a response to 9-11. It was intended to require that when you went on a governmental reservation, uh, that they had to have some mechanism for proving what your identity was. That was the sole basis of what became Nelson v. NASA in the U.S. Supreme Court. 
And as it applied to my clients, who are scientists at uh, Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which is a private nonprofit run by uh, Caltech, they're, they're scientists who work on the Mars rover, the Cassini project, uh, all manner of robotic space uh, exploration. What it meant was in order to get to their laboratories, <clears throat> they had to be properly identified. Nothing bad about that, nothing in any way significant. My clients were more than happy to do that. Right. But the government, for reasons that are really, really not fathomable, decided to go further. And they decided to have what's called a background check with investigation, a national check with investigation. And what that meant was in order to get to your job, you, and you weren't working for the government. You're working for a nonprofit that, that is run by another nonprofit that contracts with the government to perform certain services. And, and the premise of all this, you, you have to understand, is that my clients work with completely transparent scientists, science. The science that they have is available to anyone as it streams in from outer space Virtually everyone has access to it in some fashion or another. There is nothing they do that you can't do someplace else. So that so and and the government has designated all of the people who are plaintiffs in this case as non-sensitive, non-security clearance, non-classified, low risk. So what in order for these non-sensitive, non-classified, non-security clearance, low risk employees have to agree to in order to get their job is that all of their medical records, all of their mental health history, all of their retail business, that is where they shop, what they buy, all of their academic background, all of their uh, criminal background, they, they, they have to give up sign releases to allow the government to go into every aspect of their lives. That's That's the way this arose, and it was uh, created with this thing called uh, Homeland Security Presidential Directive 12, and and they began implementing it throughout the country. Interestingly, the entity that is least compliant at this point is the Department of Defense. <laughs> so, so that's that's essentially the background, and my clients are a collection of scientists engineers and uh, and uh, and other personnel who work at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and most of whom have worked there for 20 to 30 years, right. who have spotless records. I mean, mm -hmm. two of our, clients, of our clients are among the top seven scientists out of the 7,500 scientists at JPL. And, and they're people who took a courageous step because they – we're told that unless they signed this agreement, they would not have access to their jobs. And I'll blither on for a while, but what's really important here is to know is that these are the cream of the cream. Hmm. Jet Propulsion Laboratory is where every scientist who's involved in space exploration wants to be. They are the jobs. Uh, and my clients were courageous enough courageous enough to stand up and say, 
We want these jobs, but we're not going to let the government engage in this type of privacy encroachment. Right. And fought. Yeah. And, you know, I can understand that they want to know their education. They want to verify that. That makes sense to me. But it does not make any sense. And I can understand criminal as well. Right. But I, I clearly don't understand the need for the medical records. When this has been argued at, at several levels, we argued it in the district court, then we argued it in the Ninth Circuit, and then to the Supreme Court. And when the judge at the district court asked the person from the Department of Justice, why do you need to know their mental health records? And she said, well, we need to know if they've got some sort of mental health issues. Uh and we need to know if, if that'll have an impact. Well, these are people who've worked there for 30 years mm. and define mental health issues. There's no limiting definition in this process, particularly because at the time there was this thing called the suitability matrix that governed everything, and it could, it could prevent you from having access to your job if you were gay, mm. if you engaged in extramarital sex, if you'd gone to a governmental protest. There, there were no standards whatsoever, and that was the standard of no standards is what they were applying to this information. And there were no limits, absolutely no limits on the information. Oh, goodness. So tell me something. What about your client? So Mr. Nelson came to you, and what what did he say when he first came to you? Well, to be honest, he came to me about five or six times and had to talk me into taking the case. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I've known, and Bobby's a friend of mine. I mean, Dr. Robert Nelson. Uh, But he's a friend of mine who my family and and his family traveled to – Mexico to watch eclipses. So he, <laughs> he, he, it's not like he was a complete stranger. In fact, he's a friend who I've known for you know, many, many, many years. And uh, he, he just kept coming and saying, well, okay, I'll get you some more information. Oh, I'll get you some more information. Because when he first came, I have to confess, I was skeptical that what he was saying was correct. <laughs> because I thought, they wouldn't do that. That's crazy. Uh, <laughs> and and so the more he came back with information, the more I realized that he was completely sane, and it was the government that was crazy. Right. So they wanted them to do be, beyond the normal background check that you would check off to have an investigative background check right. or anywhere in California. They wanted to go into the medical records I had read something about that they wanted to go into the, like you said, the sex lives to see if they were their sexual orientation or whatever. And um, what other things did they want to know? Well, what you had to do was you had to sign a release. And the release gave them access to every aspect of your physical records, your financial records, your educational records, your criminal records, your retail business records. Uh, You name it, it was this release allowed them to get into it. And if it didn't allow them to get into it because of its format, you were required to sign another one that did. And what did they say they needed the retail records for? To know your, well, 
A, they didn't say any reason why, <laughs> but there are some there are some cases that refer to the need for them for people who hold top secret or higher clearances to determine whether you are in debt and therefore can be blackmailed. There is some logic to some of the requests for people who hold sensitive positions or right. hold classified positions or hold positions with security clearances. Right. But for people who propose no threat to anyone, yes. it, it is it is just unconscionable. I mean, the person who works at the snack bar at JPL has to release this information. Oh, my goodness. The person goodness. who drives the bus, the person who... <laughs> Uh, is the is the janitor? It is. It's inconceivable that a thoughtful governmental entity would engage in this. And of course, they have to give their credit reports too. Like oh, you absolutely. said, all the financials, which you know, many states now have passed laws that to get to gain employment, they can no longer get your credit report. And in fact, in California. It, that passed, but the governor wouldn't sign it. So uh, it's interesting that uh, they're still asking for the credit reports and. Oh, the, they're asking for everything. You name it. They are asking for it, and I, and there really is no limit to what they believe they can demand. At the Supreme Court argument, uh, Justice Sotomayor asked the uh, Solicitor General if this could require a DNA test. Ah. And he said, of course not. And the judge followed that up with, well, at what point do you stop? Where are the limits? Well, if you're getting medical information, you indeed may be getting that exactly. in, a, in a medical record. And mental health, you, you know, you're you getting every aspect of, of a person's life. Right, uh, their marital problems. Exactly. Well, let me ask you something here. Um, so you you took this what happened at at, at the various levels of the court at, we went to court uh, the the date escapes me but i believe it was like september 20th or 22nd of 2007 right because i think on the 27th i may have these dates off by a couple of days okay uh they were going to be excluded from their jobs and we went to court in front of judge otis wright who's a federal judge here in los angeles Right. And he denied us the preliminary injunction and or the TRO, temporary restraining order, we were seeking. So we immediately sought an emergency appeal to the next higher court, which is the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Right. And that court immediately issued a, an injunction preventing, as it related to my 28 clients, preventing them from implementing HSPD-12 against them. Right, so they're still working there. So they're still working there. Mm -hmm. And then there was, the next level was the actual argument in the Ninth Circuit, and we prevailed on that as well with a different panel from the one that had heard the emergency uh, motion. And then from there it then went to another level within the Ninth Circuit. They sought what's called a petition for rehearing on Bonk, which is a full panel of 11 judges in the Ninth Circuit. And that was denied, but it was denied in a 65-page ruling with, I 
forget how many descents to the, to the denial with one particularly pointed dissent written by Judge Kaczynski, who asks as the opening line to his dissent, is there really a right to informational privacy, which is the theory we were proceeding under, right. and the, which is a tip-off to the Supreme Court, which I think wants to do away with informational privacy, uh, that they should take the review of this, and in fact, ultimately, they did. So, Dan, how is this going to affect every government or every, you know, nonprofit that works with government? How is it going to affect other employees? Well, I think it can have a dramatic effect on on employees uh, because if the government for for positions which require, which by their definition are transparent, that is, the positions at JPL, you know more about them than you will about my position or any other person's. It's required to be public. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if this is allowed to go on, it can have an incredible impact on privacy on all levels. Uh, what specifically that impact would be is at most it would give the government carte blanche for any employees, any people who want to go on a military reservation, any people who want to go into a contractor's office, it could require that you give up all of your privacy rights. Amazing, amazing. Now, at any time during the discussions or during any of the proceedings, did anyone talk about narrowing or tailoring just to the specific needs of these people who did not handle sensitive, you know, uh, information or classified material? I mean, just say, okay, well, we're, we're going to do a criminal background check. Just be, that, that would make sense to me to just kind of narrow it or at least specifically state what would be appropriate and then exclude those things that weren't appropriate. The Ninth Circuit did a version of that. They excluded certain very specific questions and allowed a bunch of others. It did not do the analysis that we had hoped it would, essentially addressing the concept. It was trying to reach a very narrow analysis, which I which, which was appropriate. Uh, but no court has really said these are the parameters. Hmm. No, and no court ever, no, none of, certainly not the Supreme Court has ever issued a definitive, these are the parameters of what you can and can't do hmm. statement. It's just kind of surprising to me that, that none of the court said, hey, go back to the government and say, narrow these, make sense here. You know, these people don't have any. Uh, access to sensitive or classified material, narrow it to what you really can say would be a problem here. Well, I I agree wholeheartedly. However, when I, at the Supreme Court level, they they really thought it was clear from the questioning. Several of the justices really thought that the government has the right to know very private matters of individuals, including their political beliefs and their. Uh, public statements about their political beliefs for purposes of employment. One of the, uh, one of the 
problems with our case was that whenever people hear space and rockets, they think national security. Right. And no matter how much we address this, and we address it extensively at every level in every brief, that, that this is transparent science, as required by the implementing statute that created NASA, uh, everybody, the, every judge, the second they heard rockets, heard national security. And mm. we, we, we defined this case as one in which we accepted the government's designation of our clients as having no risk or limited risk to the mission of NASA. That was their definition. Right. And so what they are saying by definition, that people who have no risk of injuring the, mis mis the mission of NASA can be required to completely give up their privacy rights. Mm. It is nuts. Tell us, a a yeah, I mean, tell us exactly what happened at the Supreme Court level. I mean, that's. That's so exciting. I know you've argued before at the Supreme Court level, so you, you, you're you kind of a veteran, but but still, now this is a new court. You've got it a is, lot it's of... It's a completely <laughs> different court from yes. when I argued there before. Well, not completely different there. Well, uh, yeah, but kind of tell us about the difference. Well, the difference is that this court is the most conservative court in the history of the Supreme Court. There have been analyses, one done recently by Erwin Shermerinsky at UCI, which addressed the level of conservatism within the court. He has a new book. We already interview, interviewed him on his new book, how you know how the uh, the conservative courts are are destroying the Constitution. It's something like that. I forgot the it, name. <laughs> yeah, and 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 this is just an, an incredibly conservative court. It, the liberal appointee. Uh, of President Obama, Kagan, was the person who argued, in, well, whose, whose uh, Solicitor General office presented the arguments to the court. She actually had to recuse herself, so there were really only eight of the justices there. But she was a liberal appointee, and she supported the government's position in this. Mm. So... That, that, that's very, I mean, that's completely amazing. When you look at, remember, Souter and Stevens were re appointed by Republicans. They were moderate Republicans. They became the liberal <laughs> arm of the Supreme Court. The, the court has just taken a right-hand turn, you know, sort of like dealing with the Tea Party. Yeah. And I just I just remembered the name of the book as I have it sitting in front of me. It's called Erwin um, Chemerinsky's new book is called The Conservative Assault on the Constitution. And, and then he goes through what's happened in the past few years and what what this is all about and what what does it mean to our Constitution? And obviously, privacy rights have a lot to do with our liberty, you know, well, and our freedom. Well, the very first question I didn't even get a full two sentences in was. Justice Scalia saying, where does this privacy right, informational privacy right, where is it in the Constitution? And my response was, although I never got to quite finish it, was <laughs> it, it lies in the concept of the ordered process of liberty in the Fifth Amendment. And, and it also is contained within, in parts within the First and Fourth Amendments. 
Right. He didn't. I, I got and the first, and he just cut me off because the the definition of or the description of informational privacy has only been used after the two initial cases, Nixon and Whalen. Uh, it, it's it's a term adopted by later courts. Yeah. But is yeah the the whole idea of how can you have liberty if you have no privacy? Right. How can you make decisions about yourself, uh, which have historically been protected by the Supreme Court uh, through family matters, procreation issues, uh, educational issues, all of those things that the Supreme Court has found protections for? How can you make those decisions if you have no privacy? And we we have the U.S. Privacy Act, which was created in, what, 1977 originally? And that, you know, that that's informational privacy that talks about that, that, you know, what what can be collected and how it can be disseminated and how it could be shared. And, you know, that there shouldn't be any of these private databases, which, of course, there are. (laughs) Well, and but the problem with the Privacy Act is there are 12 exceptions to the Privacy Act that the government can just release information with impunity. It can release information under the Privacy Act to news media, to members of Congress, to litigants, to individuals have a need to know. There's, there are, are 12 exceptions that basically swallow up the whole. Mm. So if the government says, well, the news media needs to know this very private fact about you, under the Privacy Act, it can be released. If Congress needs to know, it can be released. And we know how well privacy protections fare in Congress. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting that, um, you know, we don't have an actual word privacy in the U.S. Constitution like we do in the California Constitution. There is a, a right to privacy, which is actually written out in right. our California Constitution. And even though these guys are from California, it doesn't seem to really matter because this is federal law. That's right. And the argument is that federal, that state law would be preempted by federal law as it relates to these issues. Right. Well, you are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. You're listening to Privacy Piracy. And this morning we have a wonderful guest. We have Dan Stormer, who is a preeminent attorney in Los Angeles. And he's been a civil rights and international human rights and constitutional lawyer for 36 years. He's argued several times before the U.S. Supreme Court, the appellate court. He's a fabulous super lawyer. And we're talking to him about a very important case with regard to background checks and the government and what the government can do and what they can't do and, and what the, you know, the limits of privacy rights are for people who don't handle sensitive or classified material. So how about the, the employment laws? I know you've been an employment lawyer for a long, long time. How about the employment laws with regard to background checks? How does that all fit into this? Well, in I mean, that is more typically a state-by-state analysis. Uh, in the, As it relates to drug testing, different states have different results. As it relates to credit checks, people have different States have different approaches. Uh, 
private employers, to some extent, have more have historically had more of a right to engage in questioning about the personal history of an individual, and then it gets limited by statute, arrest records, felony records. There are a whole host of standards that that apply differently in different states. Uh, I'm not sure I answered your question. Well, I, I'm wondering with regard to background checks at the federal level, did that come into any of the arguments? It it did not, although the government argued that these background checks that are at issue here have been done on literally millions of employees. And my response essentially is twofold. A, if that's true, which I don't believe it is, uh, that just shows how massive the encroachment on <laughs> privacy rights is. And B, uh, it, those that have been done have typically been done in cases where the position is one of national security, of classified or some sort of higher standard applies to the to the needs to know. Right. Well, so what what kind of expectation of privacy is there in the psychological records? Did you you obviously argued that, right? Yes. What what type of well, we argued that there is essentially that that there is what's called heightened scrutiny. That is you need to have more than just a reason for wanting it, a rational basis. Rather, you needed some higher level of reason for obtaining this information. And I think the court will agree on that, that you just can't say, well, we need it because we can't have people blowing up uh, institutions and people might be crazy, therefore we need the records. I think the court will agree that there's a higher level for that. That's my hope. But then the the next standard is is what is that level? Is it you have to apply it in the what's called the least restrictive alternative? Probably they won't apply that. What they probably will say is that you need a important reason to inquire into the background of an individual, and you must do so in a way that is less restrictive. And so what that means is that if you're working with people who hold classified information, they might have a need to know. Because if they've got emotional issues that could affect national security, there is a need to know. Right. So generally... You can't go in, in California, psychological records and information are highly protected. Yes. Uh, more so than in most states. Under the federal standard, I think the one that should come out of this, and I'm not certain will, will be the one I just described, some sort of heightened reason for uh, inquiring. So what other kind of questions did you get, like, from Roberts and others? I mean, were they, were they all slanted toward, like, their information privacy is dead? Or? No, the, they, were, they really covered the spectrum. Clearly, Justice Sotomayor was very concerned about the breadth of the inquiry by the government. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justice Ginsburg clearly was 
concerned about the impact that this case could have and wanted to keep it very narrowly focused on the very narrowest of findings. Right. Scalia and Thomas want to throw out privacy. <laughs> that, 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 Just open that the clear. door, right? They don't even ex- believe it exists. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, it's kind of wacky. Uh, Alito and Roberts were concerned about the breadth. I mean, the libertarian streak that exists with them, within them, I think, was touched. Mm-hmm. Uh, Breyer and Kennedy, it was hard to tell. Kennedy's question, I did, he only asked a couple of questions of me, one of which I was unclear, and Justice Sotomayor basically said, what I think the court is trying to determine, counsel, and she it appears she speaks Kennedy, uh, had, uh, <laughs> was able to, to, I was able to understand what he wanted. Uh, so it's, it's, there is not an, a, co- a coherent set of opinions. And I think whatever decision comes down, we'll, we'll have several concurrences so- or several dissents. And and the solicitor general argued for the for the yes. government, correct? Yeah. And so, what kinds of questions did did he, who was it? Was it a man? Uh, Neil Katyal. Okay. So, what kind of questions did he get? He got mostly questions about breadth and limitations. Mm-hmm. They all had the same set of questions: is how broad. They the I was concerned because. When you ask how broad, there is a presumption that they're, that you are entitled to ask some questions. Right. And so my concern was was really, even though they were asking these questions, which seemed fairly helpful to our side, that the fundamental basis of the questions was that there is a right to ask such questions, but but that there only needs to be some sort of limitation. So when I stood up to argue, because we had prevailed below, we argued second the Supreme Court, I basically said, as defined, the question is, how far may a governmental entity encroach upon the privacy of a person working in a non-sensitive position? Right. Not exactly as I said it, but close. Right. Uh, And that really is how they framed it. And that was somewhat concerning, but... When you're arguing there, you have to try to use their language to convince them. Right, right. So some of these people that had worked there 20 years, like you were talking about, and I don't know how long um, your client— Bobby's been there 30. 30 years. So this was, you know, I mean, they've already been there 30 years. This wasn't even like we have to do a background check when you want a promotion. This was just to be able to continue to work there, This correct? was just to get a badge to just enter the to premises. Just to get a badge. Oh, yeah, and here's the, the funny part, is if, is if you're working there and your car has a flat tire and you call AAA, you just wave AAA through the guard booth. <laughs> oh, God. That's all you do. Uh I walked on there and got in by showing my driver's license. And I, it, nobody walks around with you. It, I mean, it's it's amazing yeah. how uh, 
Open. Open it is. It's an open campus. It's intended as a campus life atmosphere. Interesting. So does that mean that if they do this to these guys, um, that anybody who's going to come on the campus from now on is going to have to go through a background check before well, they Well, it should, but it won't, I am certain, because functionally they can't do it. What it means is that those people who actually make a living by being brilliant will be, <laughs> by, will be repressed and have their privacy rights taken away in order for us as citizens to benefit from their brilliance. Mm-hmm. It means that out of convenience and just plain laziness, anybody, because the JPL doesn't want to spend the money, NASA doesn't want to spend the money, the delivery guy, the pizza delivery guy, the uh, And they could be terrorists, right? Come on. They just wave them through. Yeah, there's going to be a pizza delivery guy coming. Yeah, and they could be a terrorist. Oh, absolutely. and, and, And the reality is that if they blew up JPL as we, like where my clients work, yes, that would be a tragedy, but it wouldn't be a problem for national defense. Yeah. Because yeah. everybody has the science that they're working with. Ugh. It would be a destruction of private property. And they probably would, have everything it, on their computers up in the cloud anyway. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and if you're an arsonist, that would mean that you you are essentially it would be defining an arsonist as a terrorist. Well, that kind of leads to the whole argument about security versus privacy. You know, how did 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 they talk about that when these guys don't have any need for security clearance? That's what I kept bringing that up. They were not persuaded particularly by the obvious brilliance of my argument uh they that's a joke uh, <laughs> I got, no i they, know but it was brilliant <laughs> thanks uh they they that didn't seem to to strike a chord with them and to me it was the fundamental issue in the case i believe that if you are handling sensitive issues classified issues national security issues there ought to be a background check but i equally believe that if you're not engaged in those activities, there shouldn't be a background check. And I, as much as we tried in the briefs, in various oral arguments, that was not in, an argument that held sway. I think, at least from what I'm seeing in my own practice, is that everybody and their brother to hire anybody is trying to do a background check. They're worried about negligent hiring, they're worried about someone putting a saying that they have some degree that they don't have. I mean, there are, I'm seeing it out there that, that people want to do a background check. So, you know, that's kind of the change in the evolution. However, however, I guess the question, and I, I can understand why the Supreme Court is saying, well, how broad should it be? I mean, should it include a, a, a credit report. For me, I don't think it should. Because what if you have a terrible credit report because somebody in your family was really sick and you had all these medical bills that ruin your credit? Does Absolutely. That, you know, I mean, that to me doesn't seem fair. I do think when you're hiring somebody that they're going to have access to certain information that you should do a criminal background check. You know, I think that that makes sense to me so that you don't get 
sued by someone like Dan Stormer for negligent hiring when he's doing some, you know, employment. Or case. if you're the <laughs> if you're the bookkeeper, right? Or the accountant. Well, or, or, that would make sense to have a credit check. Yeah, well, the credit check. I'm talking about the criminal background. Right, check. the criminal background. I think there, there's there, but I do think there should be limitations to that. Right, but I mean, if you're going to have access, if you work for a bank and you're going to have access to certain. You know, even a teller who has access to certain information and has access to the money in the in, in front of you, I think having a criminal background check is okay. If you're going to have access to kids, I think you know a criminal background check is okay. So you know, and I and I'm I'm pretty privacy conscious, but I I also think on the other hand, when I see negligent hiring and why someone will steal somebody else's identity if they're sitting at the front of, um, you know, a maybe a health club, but they get the person's social and they get all the information when somebody wants to join. I mean, they either shouldn't have access to that or they should have a background check because I've seen them, you know, steal the identities of people. So there, there is a, a real reason, at least from my perspective, but it makes no sense to me to find out if they're on the no buy list, you know, right, exactly. <laughs> or it makes no sense to me about their credit if they've had some problem. And it doesn't make any sense to me, really, about if they've worked there 20 years and they haven't ever caused a problem. Why do you need a psychological test? Right. If there's no if there's no demonstrated need. Exactly. Why do you need to look into the medical or mental health history of my pathologically normal client who's been there 30 years who's been there 30 years without a significant without a single problem so you I, had there were a lot of amicus briefs so so who were the ones um, who filed the amicus briefs there was the electronic frontier foundation and they're very big on electronic privacy they yes. uh, they were very concerned in some ways about not necessarily the informational privacy component, but what's called the associational privacy component, which is the First Amendment component of this, which says that you have a right to to freely associate with others. Uh, There was EPIC, which is another privacy-oriented organization. The Electronic Privacy Information Center. Yeah, we've had them on our show, too. Right, Mm -hmm. and they are brilliant lawyers, both sets of those. There was the uh, Union of Concerned Scientists, and their brief was absolutely wonderful covering the issues uh, that relate to all this and and the absolute lack of need in settings like these to have background checks like this. There was the California Employment Lawyers Association, which wrote an amicus brief essentially refuting this kind of wacky uh, investigators, there was one governmental supportive amicus brief, and it was this wacky background investigating group. Oh, yeah, because they have a lot of money to gain by this. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And and then they completely miscited their own supporting documents, and the California Employment Lawyers Association filed an amicus brief addressing that. There was There were two others, and I'm suddenly drawing a blank on oh, That's okay. Okay. Was the ACLU, did you say? Oh, I'm sorry. That's one of them. The ACLU uh-huh. filed a, <laughs> a brief, a brilliant brief, 
covering all aspects of privacy. So there was one more after that. Hmm. And and you would think I know. <laughs> unfortunately, some of the times that we've had to help senators and and lawmakers understand or judges understand privacy is is to help them see how it could happen to them. I would think the most recent appointees to the Supreme Court with everything that was exposed about their lives could really relate to the fact that their informational privacy is is really important to them. The, the odd part of that is people like, it, it strikes me, the people like Roberts and Alito think while they, re, they, they think that there should be access, but that the liberal media misused it or the liberal uh. senators misused it. I don't think they are bothered by having other people subjected to those requirements. Certainly not, given a number of their rulings. The Quan ruling, uh, which came out just before this, uh, before this decision, before he argued this decision uh, from last term, which allowed uh, broad incursion into text messages by police officers when mm-hmm. uh, they basically found that you could, uh, if you had an initial basis to look at their text messages, that is to see the level of use, that that then supported going much further into looking at these. Since the initial use was lawful, every use thereafter was lawful, which is yeah. contrary to the whole history of Fourth Amendment law. Right. And and also information privacy law. Like if you collect something for one purpose, you're not supposed to use it for another purpose. Exactly. And and they obviously did. Um, I think that was the, the guy who was writing his girlfriend. and, and uh, Right. Yeah, on. yeah. So, I mean, that one, unfortunately, it was that set of facts rather than writing to his doctor. Do you right, know what I mean? Exactly. I think that didn't help it any and the fact that it was he was way over, you know, and I mean, he thought that he had a right to do it because that's what his uh, his supervisor said. Oh, yeah, you can do it as long as you um, as long as you pay for the extra minutes. Wasn't that it? And then then, the, you know, the the agency said, no, you know, this this is contrary to what our policy was. So I think that was different because there was really a policy not to do that. that that's right. There was. So, I mean, you know, then you're on notice. But on this, you don't know who they're going to share with. Oh, you absolutely do not know. And there are no limits. Now, they say for the first time, once again, the oral argument, well, the only people we will share this. And here's an interesting comment on the Privacy Act. One of the exceptions to the Privacy Act is that they can share your private information with people that they are interviewing about you. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and so who I are they going to share I don't remember seeing that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, take a look. You will okay. see. Okay. Uh, uh, I forget which one. It's one of the 12. Okay. I am going to look at that as soon as we get off. This is terrible. Because, you know, I mean, again, that gets to, like, there won't be anything collected that they don't have a need for. And it's if it's collected for one purpose, it won't be used for another purpose. But, you know, that's the problem, is that these once these databases are put together, and if, if it's true that they've done this thousands and thousands of times to people who 
were not handling sensitive or classified material, then what about all those profiles? What about all those databases? Who has access? Exactly. Who's sharing it? Who's seeing it? How is it being destroyed? When is it being destroyed? If they if they quit the job, is it destroyed? What what are all of the parameters? Yeah, there and there really are no parameters. There just are no parameters out there. Hmm. So what what is your client and the 28 other people thinking right now? Well, one of the things they're thinking is they're really angry because during the argument, Neil Katyal, the Solicitor General, or the acting Solicitor General, said that with one of these badges, you can get within 6 to 10 feet of the space shuttle, which is it is 99.9% untrue. <laughs> if you win an honor or award that allows you to do this, then you can do it. Oh my so goodness. you to be eligible for the honor or award that it would allow you to go to uh, Kennedy space and shuttle, see the yeah. space shuttle. And and they have done all the what, the separate background check that they do to need you to allow you to do that, then you can get within six to ten feet of the space shuttle. Well, uh, it would seem to me that if you if you get to that point, and then you could they say, do you want to get near the space shuttle? Maybe then, maybe then, and only then would you have to submit to more, you right. know, more well, background check. I mean, they you know, why do you need it now? Maybe maybe that would be a choice of yours. Well, if you want to see the the shuttle take off and be within ten feet of it or something, then then we're going to ask that you take another background check. But why do you need it now unless that becomes an issue? Yeah, and and you know the real but there what what they were angry is it was it was in their opinion an absolute lie. Oh yeah. And so at, at they are by nature people who live on empirical data, right. <laughs> and the concept that a governmental official would create false data to present it to the U.S. Supreme Court irritated them both as scientists and as truth seekers. What would happen, and I know they don't want to do it, but what would happen if all 28 of them said, we quit, okay, well, we're not going to do a it? A good number of them will. I mean, I just think that would be really interesting to lose all of those 28 Oh. Top brilliant scientists. If they all said, "Okay, you did this," we quit. Get new people. Oh, they uh, a number happen? of these individuals will quit, and it's it's a tragedy for the citizens of this country, for the space program, and for the government that it is willing to do that for reasons which have no basis in fact or logic. So, so what do you think the Supreme Court is going to do? I mean, they asked at least some good questions about the, the breadth of of the need for that information. So they were they were listening to you. I mean, you still had, uh, you know, a brilliant presentation. The fact that they were asking, I think those are pretty good questions, right? I mean, they are. They are. You know, I've been trying to figure out what they will do. Uh, I don't think that there is support for blatantly reversing Supreme Court precedent. So I don't think they'll do away with the concept of informational privacy. I am hoping, and I think 
this is probably correct, is that there will be a narrow ruling in some way reversing the Ninth Circuit, but allowing the concept of informational privacy to stand and defining it in a, in a more focused fashion. Can they order that, um, that NASA go and really define and, and narrow the questions to what is absolutely needed for this purpose? Oh, absolutely, and they should. Yeah. I, I think that's absolutely what they should do. Now, whether they will do it or not is, is a totally different story. So then would it go back? And, and you just helped me with how that would work. Let's oh, say it would that go back to the Ninth Circuit. It would almost certainly would say it's remanded to the circuit court for findings consistent with our opinion, which means it would go back for a reevaluation of the case in light of their uh, instructions. That, to me, would be the best way to go. I, I agree. I think that would be the best way, and it would be the most logical way. Whether that is, in fact, the way that it goes <laughs> is, is a, a totally different question. Yeah, because, I mean, what's frightening to me is to think that anybody can gather all this information, and it's not transparent Oh, I, at I all. agree. I mean, the, some of the records that they might be getting – might not even be available to the scientists themselves. Oh, the, oh, absolutely. A, a number of the records that they will get will not be available to the scientists. And and you know, what about the the idea that there shouldn't be any secret records? The and in theory, the Privacy Act protects that. Right. But it, it, as we all know, the Privacy Act does not protect. It certainly doesn't protect, as we have seen from. Uh, the massive incursions into privacy rights during the Bush years and, and phone taps and, and analysis of phone calls and right. illegal warrants and all of those things. And, that, and the, re- and, you know, and, and the Patriot Act. And, you know, Obama hasn't been too great either. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, I, I mean, he has not said this is horrible and we got to change all this. Obviously, he's still allowing a lot of that stuff. I don't think, at least as as to... HSPD-12, the issue here, his position is not substantially different from the Bush administration's Right. And I think that's sort of once you become part of the running of the government, you you have a vested interest that uh, in power. Right. Not necessarily in information, but in power. And people, no matter how good and and liberal they are, when they get power, it has an impact on how they address issues. And in this case, the Obama Department of Justice has taken essentially the same position as the Bush Department of Justice. Right. Now, so what what is worrisome to me is, and thinking kind of like how they're going to go, which way they're going to go, but even if they do narrow it, and or if they don't narrow it, who is doing these background checks? It's going to be third parties. So it's not going to be the government. So these are going to be the, the big background information brokers. And well, they can they can have these data profiles, right? Oh, absolutely. The Right now, for NASA, the Department of Commerce was doing the background checks. And as we know, our recent government approach to 
privatizing would allow them to do contracts to somebody that they would designate to create this information. And and when they do that, when they use Axiom or they use LexisNexis, which acquired ChoicePoint, or any of the other large information brokers, then those brokers are not subject to the Privacy Act. That's correct. So they get around all the protections of the Privacy Act because it's it's not the government's databases. The government just has the right to tap into it. No, absolutely. I mean, it, the, 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 the ability of the court to allow incredible overreaching is amazing in this case. Yeah, and I'm I'm just wondering was was that ever brought up about these massive databases that are going to have this sensitive data that that you know we hear about security breaches all the time. We we have a section of our brief which specifically addressed a number of the massive breaches uh, that have taken place over the years, uh, and the court didn't seem to be at all concerned about those types of breaches, which is interesting because in the Whalen case and the Nixon cases, which are the late 1970s cases from which informational privacy arose, in those cases the entities involved had incredible protections against the release of information, and it was essentially a no-exceptions release of information, and, and but they did presage some of the issues that you're describing right now. They talked about the growth of electronic uh, access and electronic storage. And look at what happened now with technology. That's right. Now, did you have an expert to talk about any of these issues, or you didn't have it at the lower level? We didn't have it at the lower level. We really uh, attacked this on its face because we felt on its face it was just a required incur- improper incursion into privacy. They didn't get it, though. Uh, well, the Ninth Circuit did. The U.S. Yeah, Supreme yeah. Court, it's a, yeah, it's a different yeah. question. Yeah, unbelievable. Well, this is going to be very exciting to watch and see what happens. And thank goodness they had you, that they talked you into taking that case, because <laughs> I think it's a huge case, and it, we are going to be watching it, and we'll have to talk to you about what happens afterward. But I'm looking, and it's time to end the show. Unbelievable. Dan, thank you so much. You're wonderful. I'm going to tell everybody to make sure that they go to your website. Why don't you give your website again? Oh, it's uh, it's Hadsel Storm. Excuse me, what is our website? HS. I'll give it to you. You give it. (laughs) Okay. It's hskrr.com. And also, if they go to our website at kuci.org slash privacypiracy, and they look at at your picture and your bio, they can just link right there. They can click there and learn more. And do you have all your briefs up there too? Uh, no, we don't. But there is a mechanism for getting that if you go on oyeoyez.com, which is a Supreme Court-oriented website, you can look at all the briefs. All right. You can actually hear the argument on there. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Dan, and we'll thank have you. you back again soon. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us next Monday at 8 to 9 a.m. Thank you. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.